Hello and good evening and welcome to back to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and a Multicultural Mess. Thank you for joining me today again and I want to start by apologizing. I was supposed to post three uh, podcasts yesterday in continuation of my feminism uh, podcast uh, with hijabs and, and niqabs. I felt a little bit ill and I had to stop and put my head down uh, and I do apologize for that so I couldn't post anything else I had to just do one and stop it there and um, I will I promise to continue this episode today and uh, again my apologies to all of you thank you so much for joining me today um, we've got a, a a big agenda ahead to finish the feminism um, chapter and there's a lot going on in India and in the world and we'd love to talk about all of that we've got so many topics but uh, we'll stick with the feminism today and um, go from there so um, to start right off we talked about feminism in the last chapter how it's what the matriarchal tribes did what the matriarchal uh, civilization did um, how it came to an end what was the transition for into fgm and today we're going to talk about we're going to start uh with uh modesty in the arabic world which then leads to what we know now is the as uh, niqabs and hijabs and so on and so forth. So it starts with modesty and where does it come from? Okay. So like everything else in Islam, the concept of modesty comes from Judaism. Okay. In Judaism, there are something called 613 mitzvot. Uh, there are traditions which are positive and negative given by God in the Hebrew Bible. Okay. Uh, at Mount Sinai. Um, for example, declares the oneness of God, resting on the seventh day, not eating pork, wrapping to fill in on the arm and head, providing an interest-free loan. Now, mitzvah, it's an Arabic word, Aramaic word for zavta, okay? T-Z-A-V-T-A, meaning to attach or join. Now, zavta, uh, can mean companionship or creating a bond, joining two people with a bond, or a relationship with God, joining yourself to God. In ancient Vedic times, this concept meant to join your sequence all the way to the your creator. That means current after wave after wave after wave, you go back and understand the currents that form your waves, uh, which is metaphysical and which leads you eventually to the sun. So you're talking about the same metaphysical concept, only thing that they forgot the science, they put it into parables, institutionalized the parables and then made it in some god. So it comes from the same concept. It's called zafta and uh, from that word, um, the Aramaic word, we have mitzvah, which is a Hebrew word and meaning uh, 600 and called 613 uh, traditions from God given to the Jews at Mount Sinai. Uh, there are also seven rabbinical mitzvah that were added later, so in all about 620. Um, one of these mitzvah is modesty, which was as usual taken over by the Arabs and made Islamic. If you notice Hasidic Jewish women who belong to the community of Orthodox or ultra-Orthodox uh, Jews, uh, once married, are supposed to wear a wig to cover their hair and dress modestly by not showing any part of their body. 
This means she's allowed to show uh, her body only to her spouse and no one else. By showing her flesh to other others, especially men, she is inviting trouble and loses sensuality, sexuality, chastity to her spouse and thereby to God. The husband is considered on the same plane as God among the Orthodox. Okay, You know the rest, the same concept. As in ancient times, where to attach or to join would have come from the word yug or yoga, meaning to join the dots or sequence of data. To form these bonds along 4.6 billion years of your journey right up to the creator is what is paraphrased as God. Uh, basically, one, once you understand your cosmic journey in sequence, you will balance and find that exclusive modesty or balance, you know, uh, yagna, you'll find that basic yagna. Okay, alignment. Modesty on the outside has no meaning in reality because we are metaphysical, uh, and and modesty, uh, external modesty, is only material. Covering up your metaphysical to enhance your your physical is uh, sorry. Yeah, coming up your physical to enhance your metaphysical is absolute ignorance. One's physical appearance has no value. It is the metaphysical that is more powerful and runs the show. Covering or not covering, you will rise and fall with your cycles. As for Islam, it's just another plagiarized concept that they have no idea where it originates from. From this root, we get the feminist concept in modern times called the hijab. An absolute insult to women everywhere. Uh, unless the climatic conditions call for it to cover for both genders. However, portrayed as women's empowerment uh, by some and by some political groups for political vote banks. So let's take a look. As we said earlier, we're going to talk about hijab, burqa, niqabs and whale. The Middle East region, as we know today, is an Arab desert land. About... However, 12,000 years ago, this region was a lush green forest. Since 6,000 BC, at least, the climate has changed and this region lost its vegetation and has thus become the land of sandstorms. The garments of the people inhabiting this re region has evolved, reflecting the climate changes to avoid these storms. Men and women alike both wore cloaks or outer garments to protect themselves from these sudden and, and serious storms, just as we do in Canada in a winter storm. These storms could blind a person, choke, asphyxiate, sorry about that, them to death. So you could actually die in these sandstorms. You know, you choke to death, blind someone. Life was harsh in these desert lands. If we go to any desert region today, you will find the same situation. You cannot go out without clothing as your skin will get burnt. Okay? Over time, the people in these regions were divided into tribes, clans, and city-states. They developed a specific, specific customs and traditions and clothing to match, to adjust to the climate. There were some patriarchal clans and some matriarchal ones. The garments they wore came to depict their status in society like everywhere else on the planet. Uh, an outer cloak, the length of the garment, the color, the tissue, all told a tale. The more extravagant the clothing, the layers, or the more it covered, all 
told a story of your class, your, your status in society. The less clothing you wore, the more classless or less honorable you were, like a prostitute or a slave woman. Uh, people from rich households had money, so they would all add layers of clothing they choose. The more the merrier. As the saying goes, they, called, they were called free women. Okay, so if you were not a slave, if you had money, you came from rich households, that means you were free. You, you were not a slave woman. And the less clothing you wore, the less covering you wore, that means you had no money and you were at the bottom of the ladder and you were a slave woman. Um, thus, people uh, without any layers or cloaks on the altars were considered one of no honor, no status, and so on. Very often, these women who had no money to put food on their tables had to sell their bodies for sex to earn a decent meal and feed their families, very similar to what we have today. All this while, women of upper-class families did not need to do the same. They were considered free women. Their husbands provided them with, and their garments for them and their garments, in which they paraded in society as they were. this was predominantly... Um, um, well, they were still in transition, uh, a matriarchal society, uh, and transitioning to a, a patriarchal society. Um, so yes, um, even even in matriarchal time, in patriarchal times, they still kept some matriarchal traditions because they can't change overnight. So it takes time. So for a long while, they they were hybrid. Uh, since they did not have the, the people from upper class societies, since they did not have to sell themselves for sex or, or, or be sold as sex slaves, they, uh, they were called virgins or free women. That means a virgin in ancient times or in the Middle East was someone who was from a high class society and whose husbands provided for them or they had money, they were affluent in the tribe and they did not have to um, sell themselves for sex. Uh, so they were called virgins or free women. Those who wore these garments came from the affluent families and outer garments showed their affluence. Even men had to follow the same norms. And I've read many a publication in the past showing that if men walked around society not wearing a head covering or proper outer garment, they too were chastised. This was all over the Middle Eastern world. Among the Tuareg, which are nomadic Berber tribes from North Africa, it was the men who covered their faces, not the women, uh, their heads more than the women. The reason being, well, they were the ones on the caravan routes, buying and selling their goods. Hence, they were caught in sandstorms of the desert, making it ne a necessity and not a custom. These women were in, the women were in their encampments. So while the women were at home, in their tents, in their tribes, the men were out in the desert. And the men were out in the desert and, and roaming from one side to the other with their caravans, uh, selling, buying and selling their goods. And uh, these were the Tuareg men. And even the Arab men uh, in the Middle East, in Arabia, were similar, similar like that. And it was the men who wore these, these headgear, not the women. Over a period of time, patriarchal societies prevailed. Men took over these garments, became a sign of authority and not notoriety all over the region. They, were, they made these garments a way of subjugating their tribal folk, men and women alike. 
to be subservient to the ruling elite, therefore, thereby institutionalizing the concept. Like everything else, they institutionalized the concept when this became patriarchy, and here we go. Clothing as a tool for subservience and division of people go hand in hand. It's more class war using a gender as a tool. Clothing had just has thus been institutionalized into culture and identity and thus used to handcuff people in the world for a very long time. Uh, since the Arab world has produced three of the mo world's most powerful colonial religions and colonized the major part of this planet, this culture and its subservient mentality has now been absorbed by all regions of the world and has become global. Whichever the Abrahamic religion or, or region, um, region, it's the same mentality. If you go to Google and type South Indian women, click on the images and you will see the majority of them do not wear head covering. It is, it is a very humid land in South India. So in the South, you want to wear the least amount and the lightest type of clothing. Covering your head is an absolute torture. It was also the least colonized by Abrahamic empires. And so you see South Indians always wearing white, uh, white uh, sarong, white lungi to keep it, uh, to keep themselves as cool as possible. They don't wear, you know, shirts and t-shirts like we do or their suits like in the north because it's cold in the north. In the south, and that's one of the reasons why the, the invaders, the Abrahamic invaders, um, uh, the invaders from uh, the Mughals, the Delhi Sultanate, the uh, uh, the Afghans to the Greeks, they did not reach South India. It was just a climate not meant for them. Now go back to Google and search the type North Indian women. Click on the images and you will see a difference immediately. Most of these North Indian women have head coverings. This is because the North is a very dry heat zone where if you do not cover yourself with men or women, you, whether men or women, you will get burnt. So in the summer, whoever you are, if you go out there with a pair of shots, I guarantee you, your skin is going to burn. Uh, even the cars, the doorknobs, you can't touch it. You have to take something in your hand to, to open the doorknobs. I remember going to Delhi once, only once, and it was in, in, the, in the middle of summer, and it was horrendous. Um, so uh, in the winter, it's the same. It's a dry cold, and so you need to cover yourself. So covering yourself in the dry heat or dry cold is important. Later, it was colonized by Islamic invaders for a very long time. Hence, North Indian women have had to absorb Islamic colonial and other desert cultures imposed on them by Arab rulers. Many countries all over the world point fingers at Hindu culture, this trying to degrade it to shame, uh, showing that even Hindus degrade their women, but they do not understand the climate, nor do they say, nor will they say um, a fact that Hindu civilization has been colonized by Bedouin uh, Arabic, Arab, sorry, Abrahamic empires for the last 1300 years or more. You cannot change in 70 years. Religions whose mentality has been unfortunately influenced uh, by the currents that form our waves today, um, sorry, religions whose mentality has unfortunately influenced the currents that form our waves today for the worse and not the better, religions who, are, who were diametrically opposed to the freedoms of women of the subcontinent, had, which they had before these, these colonial religious invasions. 
coming back to the Middle East region, one can trace the veil to even Judaism. Unfortunately, with the coming of the Abrahamic faith, uh, sent down from the heavens, this mentality was now institutionalized. Their original meaning was completely distorted and God's name plastered all over it. Since Christianity plagiarized the scriptures from Judaism and Islam continued this trend of plagiarism, Judaism and Christianity together uh, and Islam, we have all three religions competing for rent-free space in our minds, trying to tell us that the veil is a gift from God and his wish for modesty for the female gender. Prior to these religions appearing on humanity's radar, here are some of the few examples of culture uh, or the whale in the region um, that we have today. So Assyria, uh, again Middle East, Asia Minor, uh, the kings kept uh, their women's, um, the women sh uh, secluded behind the curtain or a whale, something like harems. The Byzantine Christian world, for those who don't know, this was a world, a Byzantine empire um, came after, was the eastern part of the Roman Empire. Uh, you had the Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire, with the, the empire broke up into two. And when the Western part, which is the Latin part, sort of went into decline, Rome went to a decline. The Eastern part from Constantinople, became predominant. They were called the, the Byzant, uh, Byzantium Empire. Uh, they, were, they became Christian. People tend to forget that Christianity is an Arab religion with all its Arabic flaws. There was a civilization that existed in Europe prior to Christianity and the veil did not exist back then. As when Christianity overtook Europe and, and degraded it into darkness. We like to blame the Europeans for this backwardness, but the trail of this black backwardness comes clearly from the Middle East. Hence, one, one will see clearly Byzantine historical chronicles, sorry, historical chronicles, clearly showing veiled women. Indian Rajput kings, small kingdoms in the northwest of India, also secluded their upper-class women behind whales, but the Rajput kings were occupied by the Sintian Empire that reached the border uh, of what we now consider Persia or Iran. They brought with them their customs and traditions of the lands and amalgamated with the local people. The Rajput people of the centuries that followed are a mixture of Sintian people uh, whose traditions and culture we have now known to become Indian. So we also have the Parda, or the, yes, the, the Parda, spelled either P-U-R-D-A-H or P-A-R-D-A-H, as it's called, is not native to the Indian subcontinent. So a lot of people say the Parda is native to the continent. It is not, as many finger-pointing pontificating, pontificating empires like to claim. It's a Persian word. It means curtain or division. So a parda Islam says, oh, it's not ours, it's Indian. We took it from the Indians, from Hindus, and, and it's destroyed Islam, but yet the Muslims are wearing it. No, parda is not native. It is a Persian word meaning division. This comes from the concept of purity and impurity brought by refugees who came to the Indian subcontinent. The Indian subcontinent then was recreated in the mentality of those who went there, who came here 
uh, for a second chance. The labels of purity and impurity changed, but the divisions remained behind. It was used by the elite ruling class for division of elite versus non-elite, class versus caste. And when Islam came into the picture, they brought their own divisions with them. They amplified and institutionalized the divide while most non-Muslim communities have left it behind with expectations, um, with exceptions. It was used in full force by the Islamic orthodoxy and those who cater to their true religion of God or religion of peace. So uh, this is a, a huge orthodoxy concept that uh, plagiarized another thing, uh, concept of parda, that's a Persian word, uh, also Persia coming from um, modern day Persia, which is also a seismic zone and um, and m a lot of uh, volcanic, a lot of uh, uh, problems, um, geographical, geological problems in that area. And so you need certain clothing to protect yourself. Um, from from this area and they develop clothing to define this uh, the climatic zone uh, that, that they are in uh, but don't tell that to our dear friends uh, who plagiarized it and and now it's become um, Islamic but of course they say well no it's Hindu uh, so as we move closer to modern times, we associate the whale with Islam. While the whale predates Islam, it has been taken as a new modern Islamic symbol to denote piety, modesty, which is considered eccentrically hypocritical by citizens of the world. Islam likes to say that it that it was their religion that liberated women from their shackles of slavery and has always been the forefront of modesty and piety as well as the liberation of women. But alas, Islam has destined to go all over the world to colonize the regions as per their divine mission given to them by Allah. And unofficially, they have unfortunately been taken over and forced to absorb the cultures of the world, which have degraded them in return. Drum roll, please. Pure and really the first and only liberal religion of God. So God said, really, this is the God's first religion. Thank God. And the last. Thank God for that. And it's the only liberal religion of God. Oops, I forgot to add the only true feminist religion of God, which the world really does not understand. Okay, sick. <laughs> this was, uh, that was SIC. This, of course, being the last religion of God, as he is not going to be sending any more prophets, thank heavens. Well, what can I say? If it makes them happy, so be it. So let me interpret this pious Islamic whale in another way. The word hijab is used in the Quran eight times as a word symbolizing a curtain, a wall, a division, but not a head covering. This, thus, the concept of parda is in the Quran through the word hijab. So, parda is in the Quran, only thing, the word used for it is hijab, it's not, the word parda is Persian and the Quran is in Arabic, so you have the word hijab, it means the same thing. In Hebrew, the word for curtain or division is paroshet, P-A-R-O-C-H-E-T, and in Aramaic, it is parakota, sorry, paro, par, parokta, P-A-R-O-K-T-A, so you see, the, the same um, chain of events, parokta in Persian, uh, sorry, paro, paroshe in Hebrew, uh, Aramaic parokta in Persian parda, and in our Arabic hijab. 
One has to understand a very important fact at this point. Arabic is a Semitic language belonging to the Semitic family of languages. Like all Semitic languages, Arabic has roots. All words begin with a root, but the meaning of the word taken from this root will depend on the context of the phrase and the position of the word in that phrase. One cannot take a word used in one sentence and apply it to another sentence as the context will be different. So very often people do it in the Quran, say, see this word, uh, God said it in this surah and in the other surah he used the same word, so it means the same thing. They are lying to you because a, a root can form many words depending on the context of the phrase. So you can never take a word from one context and put it in another context. It is cannot be done. So next time someone says it to you, just tell them, I'm sorry, you don't know Arabic. One cannot, so the Arabic word for whale is used in, in Surah 24.31. The verse um, uses the word kumurina, okay? Kumurina, rihina, I apologize, kumurina. The root word here is ka-mim-ra, that's the root word. Ka mim ra, which primarily means to conceal or to cover. Okay, it was then used in the seventh century and the pre-Islamic era for men and even animals who had two different colors. One concealed the other. One where one concealed the other in some places. So if an animal had two colors and one one spot he had more of one and the other or less of the other, you would use the same word. Um, so it was used for jars of wine to cover the mouth of the jar. From this one root, we get the word kamar, okay, meaning intoxicating, or something that intoxicates you to cover or seal your, to cover your, conceal your intellect. So when you when you drink, uh, you become drunk, and and you're intoxicated, your intellect, your intelligence. Uh, your balance is covered, and so we from this root we get the word kamar. Okay, uh, thus the word kum kumurhina does not mean to cover one's head, but to conceal or to cover in general, not restricting it to any one situation. So if anyone tells you that it's in the in the in the Quran and it means cover one head, it's a lie. It's the the word is kumurina, and it means to cover or conceal in general, not restricting to anyone's any one situation. The word for the Arab head in Arabic is rays or rais, where the Arabic word for hair is shair. Okay, S H A E R. You can look it up on the internet if you want. Uh, the verse I'm talking about is, is Surah 24.31. I also heard, where, but I cannot confirm this, that this is the same root is which is actually um, that this same root is actually Hebrew Aramaic from where we get the word Kippur or Yom Kippur, which is a word in the Hebrew language. The Hebrew feast, it's a Hebrew feast known as the Day of Atonement, where you uncover your sins and throw them away from the same root. We get the now famous word kufr. So in the same one root gives you multiple words. You get the root for 
You could get the word Kippur for Yom Kippur, where you undo your sins, uncover your sins. And from the same root, you now get the word Kufar. We Muslims say Kufar, Kufar. You're a Kufar. Uh, someone who has concealed the truth. That means we are concealing the truth. An infidel who wishes not to accept the tr truth of Islam is called a Kufar. And drumroll, please. This word has nothing to do with the modern hijab or modesty. The worst they use to advocate this concept is of modesty is Surah 33.59. O Prophet, tell your wives and your daughters and women of the believers to draw their cloaks around him. That will be better, so that they may be recognized and not annoyed. Allah is ever forgiving and merciful. Okay, so this verse has nothing to do with with uh, the word uh, I just mentioned. Um, it's this verse actually is saying in in Muhammad's time, very often women who were part of the Islamic movement, uh, political movement, were often of the poorer people of the tribe, those who were marginalized. They often were attacked by gangs of men who were loyal to the ruling elite. Now, one often women in the 6th and 7th century who lived among these tribes would travel far and wide. At night in the desert, they would have to leave their tents to go a short distance where no one could see them to relieve themselves. Often they would be attacked by other tribesmen who could see them and see that they did not have any cloaks on or cover themselves or what is known in Arabic as jilab. Something like the modern day trench coat, okay? Realizing that the women were not in the higher class uh, of society, sometimes nomadic, uh, with no upper class support to speak of. They, unlike the women from the higher echelons of society, would have no backing, they would have no backing from the ruling elite. So they were poor, we, they were marginalized, they were hit by the, the, the goons, and um, they had no backing at all. Um, and these gangs would attack the lower class of women for their, use them for pleasures, I mean, for sex. So Allah revealed, apparently revealed a verse about them to his prophet, and the verse is 33.59. In reality, in my opinion, it has nothing to do with this, because this is a man-made verse. Um, this verse was put in for Nabataean women. They were free women. Nabataea was a kingdom that was prior to the Arabic kingdom. It was a transition between uh, the Hebrews and um, and the Arabic people. So uh, the empire sort of died off slowly. We don't know where they disappeared in history, but. Uh, there was one time a Nabataean kingdom, and you see it mostly around Petra uh, in northern Saudi Arabia. So they were uh, these Nabataean women were free women. They had equal rights and were legal entities. They also worshipped female deities. For the Nabataean civilization, female breasts were a symbol of fertility um, and distinguished their feminism. So the, if you go and read up on Nabataea, you will see that they, um, they, they, they roam around with their breasts open, okay? Uh, now, many terracotta figurines have been found of Nabataean women with their head coverings tied behind their heads and their chest open without any covering. So you will see that in, in art, architecture, archaeology. Once these they joined the patriarchal Abrahamic groups, their lives changed and somehow Allah seems to draw to have come down with the ruling to counsel them. 
it's more like the old Hebrew lawmakers and jurists who, when aligned with the caliphs, put this in. So, um, so for that, uh, for that context, you got the verse twenty-four point thirty-one in the Quran, and say to the believing women that they should lower their gaze and guard their chastity, that they should not display their beauty and ornaments except what appears thereof. Uh, they should draw their wails over their bosoms and not display their beauty except to their husbands, their fathers, and their fathers' husbands, their sons, their husband's sons, their brothers, or their brothers' sons, or their sister's sons, or their women, or the slaves whom their right hand possesses, or male servants free of physical needs, or small children who have no sense of shame of sex and that they should not strike their feet in order to draw attention to their hidden ornaments. O ye believers, turn ye all towards Allah, that ye may attain bliss. This verse above is again a verse to Nabataean women, I believe. The people of the book who who control the deen of of the Islamic movement, uh, while Umar uh, and his caliphs were expanding the empire, would have no problem in controlling the women in their alliance, and and that's where they put in this verse. Because you remember, the Quran was written down on the orders of Umar, Caliph Umar, and was written down after he died, 20 years after the death of the Prophet. So these are the verses that people normally refer to in the Quran for hijab. Uh, it has nothing to do with the context of, of, of God. It has to do with the Nabataean women of that time. So while the Islamic world likes to ask us to use context to interpret the Quran when the real need for it comes, they will conveniently conceal themselves or manipulate this very same context to suit their vested interest. Islam likes to say that it was never imposed that say that it never imposed the whale on its flock, which is actually the exact opposite. It was the man behind the title Muhammad who never imposed any concept of on this woman, on his women. He would have never been. He would have been from a matriarchal nomad, uh, nomadic tribe himself. That's what nomads did in his day, um, and that's what I believe. Um, it was the women who decided who should wear what. It was the men who covered their faces and heads for protection from the sandstorm and not the women. Um, I believe that the Prophet Muhammad would have counseled both men and women in different contexts. Uh, or should I say the man behind the title Muhammad. However, a lot of it, Quranic literature comes from Hebrew sources. They were born out of the Levant and required women to be covered for ritual purity. All of this for pandemics and diseases that were born out of the destruction of life and break, and the break in human and food chain. A lot of what exists in the Quran already existed in the Torah and Jewish Talmud, as well as other scriptures of its time. As for the small Muslim community, uh, which grew through alliances and invasions, they formulated its laws and traditions, absorbing and, and often plagiarizing a lot of the knowledge of the lands they pilfered and occupied. In the beginning, they would not have been able to invade a religion 
as well as impose their rule of law to subjugate the congregations um, at the same time. Like any other concept, your power comes from knowledge and experience in a particular field. Once you have the demographic majority, you can impose your will uh, and change the laws in any way you want. So at the beginning of Islamic history, you will see that women in these regions did not wear the veil so much, and it all depended on several local factors wherever they were part of the elite or nomadic tribes. Once the ruling elite, who now went by the title of caliph or successor, cons consolidated his power, the old rules and tolerance went out the door. And all of a sudden, the customs changed. The only goal was to subjugate people to the subservience of the ruling dynasty and their sultans. You have to remember that the ruling elite of Islam, like the Rashidun Caliphate, Caliph, Caliphate, Umayyad, uh, uh, the Abbasid, the Ottomans caliph, uh, caliphs, did not really care about Muhammad. I'm pretty sure that the official Islamic version of the Rashidun Caliphate story is incorrect, but that's another story altogether. They would have been really happy to maintain the status quo of ignorance and subservience that existed just by changing the labels to suit their agendas. So since the whale existed already in pre-Islamic Arabia for climatic reasons, as well as ritual protection, purity to protect its inhabitants from pandemics, all they did was forward and institutionalize the same. Basically, in Islam institutionalized our Arabian climatic traditions, traditions born out of pandemics and made it official in religion. Over 1400 years of its history, these traditions of Kumur Rihina became the standard Islamic dress code enforced by more sultans or caliphs that were interested in power. It was used to subjugate the citizens all over the world until Europe and Christianity changed the tables and occupied the Islamic world. Thanks to the Ottoman Empire blocking the sea route. Christianity, by the 20th century, had evolved and thrown away the shackles of Arab Christian feudalism that has plagued Europe and held its citizens back in subservience through 2,000 years. While, it's, while it was seen as colonization, the new liberation of Europe was transferred in, transferred in certain areas to people of the Arab world in the form of extending women's voices, women's movement, and actual and real actual um, laws, not just hearsay signs. The Christian world specifically had moved on from what was Arab Christianity and modernized. However, the Arab and Islamic colonial elite who subjugated their people for 1400 years were not happy. So if their flock evolved and moved away from the nest, they would have not had any power. This power which was at their heart of their very existence power, which if lost, would have put to waste all of the efforts of the last 1400 centuries of feudalism. So they did what they knew best. They used Arab nationalism and their favorite slogan, Islam is at risk. Islam is a religion of God and jihad from which from, from its source was a screen to obtain power for the Quraysh tribe and their descendants. 
They said the European culture was diametrically opposed to their native Arab and Islamic values. Ironical is an understatement in the case as the colonial is empire of Islam did not give two hoots about the lands in Africa, South Asia, Far East, or even Europe, which they colonized and occupied. They imposed their Arabian colonial rule in the name of a man, which making, while making a man-made empire in his name. Of course, once free from the Western colonial rule, as they put it, they realized that Islam was the back of the pack, which they had no answer for their flock to whom they were preaching supremacy over the whole cosmos. Thus, like everyone else, they blamed the West. Uh, Islam is based on the ideology of the people of the book, whose only goal is to hold the people back or on any thought or human development, as the holy book is the only one that comes from the heavens and no one can supersede it. Nostalgic about the power grip they held for 1400 years, they realized that the only way to turn around the ship would be to do what all supremacist ideologies would do, point the fingers at others to justify their failures, otherwise known as deflect and rule. They talked about the true Islam and they held a stuck in the simon group in the, on their flock where they were rich after pilferage of civilizations of the world. Where the women and men were subserving to them and they were occupied in what is today Western and when they occupied what is today Western nations or as they like to say filthy Western civilization. Thus, they embarked on going backwards by playing the victim card, saying all the real inventions of the world initiated with Islam. So Islam really saved the world and not the other way around. This is what they tell their folks. The West stole the science, maths, logic and philosophy from Islam and left it in poverty. So that's what the mullahs tell the world. So the West owes Islam and not the other way around. Islam has a right to take back from the West what it really is what is really theirs. Then, then they went with the physical identity where they, they used the ancient tribal dress code to colonize and to unite their followers. The rhetoric goes as such that they tell all their women, the only reason that Islam produced all these innovations and signs is because in the beginning when Islam ruled the world, they followed the true Islam of the prophet, which lays down the rules of modesty for men and women. They did not follow the laws of the kufar or unbelievers. They did not dress like them. So anyone who does not dress like the, what the prophet asked for, then will become sluts and prostitutes, just like in pre-Islamic 7th century Arabia during the age of ignorance. Their beloved prophet warned the believers not to be like the kufar and hence rewarded them with the empire of Islam. Today, as the sisters and brothers of Islam dress like the unbelievers, behave and live among the kufar, the empire of Islam has disintegrated, disintegrated and the only way to get it back would be to go back to the true teachings of the Prophet and receive the blessings of Allah again, thus making Islam the only religion of the planet for the future. Translation. Come back to the plantation where we control your minds and economics around you to produce another generations of slaves or jihad. Uh, basically, they have stressed on the facts that the sisters of Islam would have dressed in exact obedience to what the Prophet said 40 centuries ago and not like the haram sluts and prostitutes that form what they call kufr like women of Western countries who do not follow Allah and his true message. So you see the appearance of the whale again while in the 1980s, which co coincided with the Islamic 
revolution of Iran, the petrodollar of Saudi Arabia, the pan-Islamic movement like the Muslim Brotherhood. They used their billions of dollars to camouflage only one thing, getting the power back into the hands of the ruling Arab elite of Islam and Western interests. Catchphrase, the West is haram. The overflow of this strategy of coercion using negative reinforcement, victimhood, vessel of shame, fear-mongering, disenfranchisement leads to negativity on the outside. Women are stigmatized in their homes itself by their families, their peers, their societies, their leadership, and with direct or indirect coercion to influence them and to take upon themselves this dress code. However, like everything else, what you see on the outside is an extension of what you see on the inside. The golden rule for those who don't understand. Thus, the negativity and the negative coercion spills on the streets. The cover-up for this is then labeled as racist and Islamophobia. The violence on the street is just the tip of the iceberg. The real problem is the iceberg below because it's full of negativity, hate, and ignorance to promote the agenda of the ruling elite. But have no fear at all, because we have our beloved jellyfish politicians on the left and the Marxists who use this ideology as bait and a platform to weave their own Western interests. And here we go. Bedouin clan warfare only this time in fancy suits and state-sponsored vehicles uh, instead of desert trench and coats and camels. There is only one thing. Ironically, we have become a divided civilization of ignorant fools. So you see, this is... Um, it has nothing to do with Islam. It's come from pre-Islamic uh, Arabia. It comes from a climatic tradition. Then it became uh, from a patriarchal. Uh, then it went into patriarchy. Then it went into Judaism, Christianity, Islam. And now it's become institutionalized. And, and people who don't allow this veil to happen says, oh, Islamophobia, Islamophobia. It has nothing to do with that. Well, we've spoken for 44 minutes. Thank you so very much. I'm going to come back with another episode to complete this because we have haven't finished at all. Uh, there's a lot in this chapter. Um, I hope you've taken down notes. You can go back and read the podcast again or hear the podcast. Spread the message with your friends. Talk to at least four friends or five friends. Ask them to talk to five friends so that we can spread the message that this feminism has a long history. It is really hypocrisy, absolute hypocrisy. I cannot stand the word. Um, anything to do with this feminist movement or these veils or these hijabs or whatever comes from a very distant past <coughs> sorry about that has nothing to do with feminism it has to do with a context of geography and geology and now institutionalized by religion in order to sub make people subservient and keep them on a plantation it's important to say that give the entire course of events and hopefully we can change the status quo to dialogue thank you so much you have yourself a great day